Hi guys, welcome to the third episode of the papercast. My guest today is Eric Newton, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to be talking about his paper published in the journal Foods called Effects of Dietary Seaweed Supplementation in Cows on Milk, Macro Minerals, Trace Elements, and Heavy Metal Concentrations. Hi Eric, how are you doing? Good, how about yourself? I'm alright, thanks. Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, So I thought we would start this episode just by uh, setting the scene a little bit. Sure. Um, And I wondered if uh, you could just tell me a little bit about your overall PhD project, what it's about, um, sort of how you got into it maybe. Oh, sure. Um, I I did my bachelor's, um, mainly focusing around microbiology, food microbiology. And I did my master's on um, conflict and catastrophe medicine, so looking at global health. And during that, I looked at uh, food security. So sort of like the basis of my research and um, what I aim for is, you know, the bolstering of food security, Um, especially at Reading. Our focus is here is dairy. So, uh, yeah. Um, What we focused on for my PhD was looking at alternative supplementation for dairy cattle and how that might affect... um, the quality of the uh, milk um, from those animals. Um, so something that had really risen in popularity recently is sort of cutting out your research is looking at um, alternative supplementation in the form of seaweed or algae. <laughs> so it could be microalgae or macroalgae. Um, but this paper specifically was, was on macroalgae. So, you know, a big brown seaweed. And we were looking at you know, if we supplement cows with a small amount, um, we're talking about max maybe 120 grams per day, um, how that might affect uh, the milk quality, right? Because um, there's sort of a focus um, on, you know, the effects of seaweed supplementation on methane emissions as a way, as a way to counter methane emissions for cows. Uh, but what's kind of lacking in the research right now is looking at how this actually, you know, takes its form for the population that's drinking, that's consuming that, that, that product, right? If we are to, you know, produce, um, if we're to feed animals, um, seaweed is to, it's going to reduce methane emissions. That's great. Uh, but if it doesn't, um, you know, improve or at least maintain any sort of dairy quality, then it's not of much use. Right. So, yeah, that's what we looked at here in this paper. Yeah, I think that's uh, something that isn't taken into the equation very much. It's like exactly trying to look at all these things to you know help the greenhouse gas emissions. Right. But we forget people are going to consume right. these products. <laughs> exactly. Maybe we should check right. that it's at least safe. And, th- and that was really surprising for me. I mean, there there are several papers that they go over milk quality. Um, I wouldn't say as much in depth, um, but. Um, that was really a consideration. So we so we looked at, you know, how does supplementation affect the basic composition of the of the milk? Obviously, of course, um, because that's what uh, farmers are getting paid for, right? Um, but also looking at, you know, the macro minerals, and then we kind of extrapolated this to, okay, if a population is consuming this dairy at the current consumption rates that they are, how does this affect the public nutrition, or how would this um, sort of have any effect on maybe um, something that's important like iodine uh, consumption. So, yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great overview. Um, I guess we'll we'll dive into it a little bit deeper in a minute. Sure. Um, but before we do, I wondered, is it, you, you said you're a third year. Yeah. You've, so yep. you've, been, you've been here for two years yep. uh, and a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, how long do you have left? Uh, I'm thinking, I mean, hopefully, we can only hope. Yeah. Um, I'll be submitting my thesis maybe September or so. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Oh, well done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, kind of scrambling, but... Yeah, not long left. Yeah. Ten months or so. Yeah. Yeah, if you can do it, it'd be great. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I'll still be hanging around for <laughs> yeah. for about a year longer yeah, than that. Yeah. Um, so you, you you must have worked quite a lot more efficiently. Than, uh, than I, I wouldn't have. say that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was definitely um, you know my supervisors were were really helpful in sort of directing. So we I I my first day I came in and I got these samples for this paper. So whereas other students would be working on literature reviews and that sort of thing, yeah. you know, I hot, but my first day was an introduction to the lab and working with these exact samples. So, you know, it, it took a while, but um, to actually get it published and get it written and everything and get everything analyzed. But yeah, so. Yeah, you sort of hit the ground running. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I had a long period. Right. Of just floundering. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think extended because of COVID. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. But it was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then it took me a long time and it's been only recently they've actually started collecting data. Right. But it sounds really nice to have just arrived and they're like, <laughs> yeah. here you go. Yeah, except when it gets disrupted, right? So yeah, of you course. come in, then the lockdown happens and yeah. now you're not able to do lab work, right? Yeah, well, so. so my next question was going to be, do you, are you where you thought you'd be? In your project, oh, gosh, at this I, point in time, I don't know if I knew where I was going to be in the first place. Right, I I couldn't, I didn't know uh, whether where I would be in the next six months when I started the PhD. So, I mean, there were plans, of course, but I think everybody's plans change. So, I uh, I would have liked to do more, of course, um, but you know, uh, you play with the cards you're you're dealt. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's probably the best answer you could have given. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you yeah. People have these ideas of how it's gonna go at the mm. start. And um you you just can't you can't predict it. It's gonna go the the projects it's, almost have their own life. Exactly. You you just sort of follow them where they wanna go. Yeah. I mean obviously your interests play a big part in directing that. But so much of it is out of your control. Absolutely. And it's just like, Oh, this result is interesting. I have to follow up on yeah. this this result. Because well, I mean for this paper specifically, I mean, we, I, I had not been really um, looking at iodine as something that potentially could be elevated or something like that. You get back these results, yeah, you, know, you know, you have a, kind of an idea, like maybe this might be, you know, and we got these results, and I mean, after the first, uh, after the first uh, bout of lab work, I mean, I had to do it again because I was so surprised, right? So. Um, yeah, and then it just following this, this, this thread, right, throughout the entire paper, kind of, yeah, you, you can't predict it at all, so. No, no, you can't, that's what makes it fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you, you've talked a little bit about this already, but I wondered if you could clue us in on the, I've I've written the inspiration for the study, but what I mean by that is, what had you read, what had you been, you know, sort of informed about by your supervisors that, that drove you to write this paper yeah i mean before um when i was working on my master's um it was looking at sort of like uh, humanitarian food security so it's in this 
has a lot of aspects. It's not only about, you know, delivering that food or nutrition um, or safe, you know, uh, safe uh, product to people that need it. But also it's about, you know, uh, international development, encouraging the local population to be able to sustain uh, the people around them and themselves. And then also to uh, gain money from it because ultimately, you know, their ability to farm leads to their ability to fund themselves, which leads to their ability to feed their kids, etc. So when I was looking at sort of alternative supplementation, we wanted to look at something that was, you know, relatively easy to um, get started, I guess, um, when it comes to sort of brown seaweed or, or uh, green seaweed uh, definitely is uh, a little bit easier. Um, and then also something that can take place within low to middle income countries, sort of developing countries. And then also, um, you know, it, it, it's something that could be readily added to sort of the animals that they depend on for uh, product and, 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 uh, and money, I guess. Um, and so we looked at seaweed supplementation as sort of that avenue to being a resilient product that is able to propagate pretty quickly um, and that could be readily added to uh, cattle feed. Um, and so that was our kind of jumping off point. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting topic at the moment, I think, because right. it's it, people are realizing we have a resource that they didn't Absolutely, think about yeah. before. Right. So it, it's, I feel like it's being investigated in such a broad range, you know, in terms of human supplementation and yeah. animal supplementation. We have this plant that grows rapidly, mm -hmm. probably faster than most of the crops we grow on land. Mm -hmm. And no one was using it. Particularly re resilient, right? So uh, I, I don't think you have to worry about any sort of... Uh, fires or anything related to uh, <laughs> that sort of thing right um and then also it's able to be sort of a um a substrate for other uh animal life right uh it's very common to be growing shellfish in the community where you're growing seaweed as well um it can help with uh the problem of acidification within oceans um etc so it's it's really beneficial um, the main point, the main problem is, you know, um, being able to produce as much as, a, as you want, uh, you know, if we're to, uh, feed all cows, um, seaweed, <laughs> it would take a massive amount. So, yeah. 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 But there's a big ocean. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you might, um, be immune to, to this, but something I found when I start studies is that I have a idea in my head of how it's going to go. Right. And maybe from the way you talked about your your project mm. um maybe this isn't a problem that you have but did you have any idea of how it was going to go what you were going to see maybe did you yeah so for um we we were definitely interested in heavy metal concentrations uh, that was something that uh, hadn't been really looked at in papers at all um so uh, what i saw was you know what i could get i i, I would be surprised either way um Definitely for iodine, we were we were um, pleasantly surprised uh, that we saw such a huge increase. Um, yeah, that's about it, I think.
in terms of expectations. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't you didn't really have too many. No, absolutely not. Uh, we 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 kind of just uh, worked with the samples and said, okay, yeah. here's what we have, and then anything that we see that's notable, we're just going to write about it. Yeah, so, I think that's good advice. Yeah, for anyone that's maybe just starting a PhD or research project. Sure. In in terms of advice, yeah, I I think setting out with you know expectations is fine. Um, setting out with more stringent expectations, where it's sort of like. Um, if it doesn't follow the path that you think it's going to go, then that might be a problem, right? Um, because it's not going to follow the path. Yeah, yeah probably <laughs> not. No, definitely. You want you want to have. I think you want to have an expectation of yourself to do good work, right? But the results are going to be what the results are going to be. Absolutely. And you shouldn't want to control that. No, you should scientist. just roll with it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so let's let's dive in a little bit deeper to mm-hmm. what you actually did um and and the work that was done i I guess before you started Mm -hmm. as well um so the the experiment took place in iceland yes is that right yep i'm guessing did you go you didn't i did not go to iceland oh that's Um, a shame no unfortunately i'd love to go um you haven't been at all no never actually yeah uh hopefully we'll we'll get there um after my graduation but uh, yeah, this took place on a farm just outside of Reykjavik. Uh, so um, this was a animal trial run by Matis, which is a company out there. Um, and uh, they were kind enough to send us all the samples. So, um, yeah, and we were to analyze it for minerals. And, um, yeah, uh, basic composition was uh, looked at elsewhere, um, but we specifically were in charge of iodine. Uh, and so that's what we reported. Great. Why Why Iceland? Why was it there? Um, I think University of Reading has had like a, a really long-standing relationship with Mattis. Um, they do a lot of animal trials with them. Um, it's also, uh, it, it's not a reason why they were picked. Um, but interestingly, I mean, Iceland has, has, a, has a high per capita uh, dairy consumption. Um, and then also something to note is that you know, and it's something that I get to within the paper. Um, your dairy mineral concentrations are going to depend on a number of things, right? It could be breed, it could be seasonality, um, it could be what you feed them, and that's based off of the minerals within the soil. Um, so, in each country, um, especially Iceland, you have you might have elevated amounts of a certain mineral within the soil, which translates into the crops, which translates into the cow, which translates into the milk, right? So it all follows us. And you can sort of... Um, so, so it's really important when you're looking at uh, the potential nutritional impacts, the potential nutritional uh, public nutrition impacts, that uh, you sort of look at it on a case-by-case basis, right? So that's why we chose to focus on Iceland was that, you know, the project happened there. And I think it's important to, you know, apply it to, you know, the Icelandic population um, and Icelandic nutritional health. Absolutely. I, uh, so my background before I started my PhD project was a uh, master's in nutrition mm-hmm. at Surrey. And um, I remember being told by the lecturer that taught us about micronutrients right. um, that 
for example, selenium sure. is a lot more abundant in the soil in New Zealand, I think, which is where he was from, mm-hmm. um, than it is here, or maybe the other way around, I can't remember exactly. But I do remember him saying that one of those two countries has a bigger problem with selenium deficiencies in the human population because it's not in the soil, so it doesn't get in the crops, it doesn't get in yep. the the animals, and it doesn't get in the people. I mean, e- even within a country, there'll be differences. So there'll be, uh, for, in terms of selenium, you'll have, you know, uh, large differences in the concentrations within soil in southeast England to northeast England or something like that. So, yeah, yeah it's amazing. It'll definitely be a problem. How spatially variable these things can be. Right, and thus, um, sort of dairy co- mineral concentrations can vary widely. Um, yeah, quite a bit actually. Yeah. So what were your experimental conditions with these Icelandic cows? As in, uh, what they were fed? Yeah. Or... What were they, what did you feed them? Sure. So we, they presumably were... they start off on a, a similar diet, a, a normal yeah. Icelandic cow diet. Yeah. What that might be. <laughs> yeah. So, um, they uh, were split. We had, I think it was 37 cows, um, uh, 13 were in a high seaweed group, so that was, um, I think it was 1.5% of concentrate of seaweed. Uh, We had a low seaweed group, which was half of that, and then we had our control group. Um, So 13 in the the high seaweed and low seaweed, and then 11 in the control. Um, So uh, yeah, we had three experimental groups, and they were sort of treated the same, except for what they were eating daily. That's it. And they were eating their normal food with an, mm-hmm. an added seaweed concentrate. Yep. So it was in the winter m- months. Um, so they were fed uh, silage. And then um, in terms of their concentrate, yeah, it was just a slight amount of seaweed that was added to their concentrate. How did you um, decide on how much they would be given? That's a good question. Um, before, uh, one of the uh, co-authors had worked with arsenic. Um, so our our original or her original intent for this animal trial was to just limit the amount of arsenic that the uh, that the cows could be consuming. Um, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't want to poison any absolutely any cows. Don't poison any cows. Don't uh, poison any any people that are drinking the milk. Right. Of course. Yeah. I wonder if well they would have done, wouldn't they? Even if it's an experiment, people are gonna take the milk home and. Uh, for that, for this, I don't think so. You don't think so? No, no. no. Uh, that's actually, it's actually kind of interesting. I have read some papers where they look at seaweed supplementation. Uh, they don't look at uh, mineral concentrations within the milk. And then they have taste trials oh, wow. with that's these brave. people. Right. So, uh, kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I eat all my potatoes. Mm. And uh, I know that the people that work on strawberries in agriculture eat all of those. <laughs> yeah. Although there was a... I was listening to a talk yesterday by one of the PhD students that works on strawberries. Right. And she was talking about how the, her next experiment is going to spray a chemical <laughs> right. on the strawberries right. as they're growing. And she had read that it had been linked to infertility in pigs. So she was freaking out a little bit about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. I was like, yeah. maybe, yeah. maybe I can just try my best not to eat the strawberries. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but in terms of the control milk, I mean, I, it's theoretically drank yeah, by, should by be every person. Completely normal. Yeah. 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 Um, and it was, the concentrate was a mixture of two species of seaweed. So the right? sea, yeah, the seaweed was uh, laminary digitata and ascophyllum nodosum. Yeah. At a 91 to 9% ratio. 
And how did you decide on that? Again, it, it's look looking at limiting the amount of arsenic within the feed. Okay. So um, I believe uh, Digitata has a higher amount. Um, so that's why it's in less of a ratio. But you still need to fill that amount. You still need to deliver a, a, a decent amount of seaweed to each cow, right? So Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to see any kind of effect on yeah you. exactly and ascophone is is fairly common uh within you know the northern um and eastern seaboard of uh, canada and america and off the coast of iceland and uh scandinavia in general so okay so it's abundant locally. very yeah. yeah um i forgot what i was going to ask it popped out of my head um, but I'll go back to something sure. I thought about before. Um, I don't know if you would know this. I, I guess you would have done some kind of nutrient analysis on the seaweed. Sure, yeah. Is it particularly variable in terms of macro mineral concentration? Not so much. No? No. Um, I mean, are you talking about um, see, uh, in this specific seaweed mix? You know, was there variability in... Yeah, I'm just... I'm just curious, really, because obviously it's a, a wild mm-hmm. plant, mm-hmm. so it's I would presume it's not going to be as as uniform as wheat, for example. Sure, um, there wasn't much variation, um, but of course, yeah, uh, it is wild, and it is, but it is generally um, gathered in the same location. Yeah, so it so. should be in a similar environment. Yeah, usually should should respond. Yeah. Similarly. Um, and was this concentrate dished out on a by weight basis relative yeah. to the cows? Yes. Okay. So um, that, that... Oh, as, as in, it shouldn't be to the weight of the cows. It was to the, uh, based on their amount uh, that they were eating in general. Okay. So yeah. they, okay. So if a cow eats a particularly large amount of food, it might have got. If, a, if in a particular day, Daisy is going to be eating a lot more silage or something like that. Then, of course, she's going to be, you know, consuming. So is it mi- sort of mixed in with the <laughs> yeah. silage? So, okay, so you put a percentage in yep. and then they eat what they eat and that is going to affect the, the absolute amount that they eat. Yep. But the, the concentration is the same. Yep. Okay. Because that, that helps me understand why the, the ranges exactly. in terms of weight yes, overlap yeah. slightly. Yeah. Um, that's uh, one of those things that if you're not, particularly scientifically minded, right. you, you haven't got a lot of experience in, in academia, you might muddle yeah, that up a little bit. Yeah, you need to make sure that the amount of seaweed is proportional to what you know a cow is eating per day, um, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, it makes, makes total sense. Um, and then you, you've touched on um, the things you actually measured, but I guess you could mm-hmm. give us a little bit more detail on that because that was where you came in, I guess. Sure. So, well, us specifically at Reading looked at iodine. Um, it was just analysis via ICPMS. Um, Could so you we, talk a little bit about what oh that is? Oh, gosh. Uh, so, uh, so what we did was it, it's a common way of looking at whatever analytes are in concentrations within your matrix, which for us was milk. Um, so we had to digest, which means just break down the milk and then uh, treat it, and then deliver it to our chemical analysis facility here at University of Reading, and they were able to determine via a machine called ICPMS um, how much uh, of a certain mineral is within that 
solution. Um, then you're just able to say, okay, for this sample, this has X amount of micrograms per liter of iodine or calcium or potassium or whatever you're looking at. In terms of the other minerals other than iodine, that was carried out at Mattis, I believe, and then basic composition was also contracted out. And so we were able to combine all that data. We were able to look at, you know, every cow per time point, per week, per experimental group, you know, how much milk they delivered, was it how much fat or protein or anything like that, how much SSC, some max cell count, um, how, much, how much minerals were in it. Um, and so, yeah, we were able to get a lot of data from, you know, each cow's time point. So it was a, a really quite collaborative project. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, lots of different people providing. Yeah, sure. Data to mm-hmm. come together and give you a better picture of what's yep. what's really going on. And in the end, we were able to our eye specifically was able to just get all of this data and analyze it. And so I was able to produce you know the results that you see in the paper. Great. Mm-hmm. Did you you presumably took some some measurements before you started the seaweed treatment? Like yeah. Baseline. Yeah. So yeah. we had um, a, we had three weeks of um, sort of baseline. The cows just eating um, their normal diets, basically what the controlled experimental group is eating. Um, so three weeks, and then on the fourth week, um, I'm just talking in real time. So on the fourth week, uh, they had sort of an introduction. So they're fed 25%. So the uh, low seaweed and high seaweed groups are fed 25% around there of what they would eat the following week, if that makes sense. So yeah. it's just introducing seaweed into their diets. Um, this was done for a number of reasons, usually it's standard for feeding trials, but also, um, you know, some other papers were experiencing uh, rejection, you know, sometimes, um, if the, if the seaweed, you know, in a good amount wasn't supplied with like molasses or something, sometimes the cows would kind of avoid it or not really want to eat it, didn't really care for it. Um, so, but we didn't see that in our animal trial. And then... After the fourth week, on the fifth week, they were up to their max amount of whatever they were fed. Um, this went on for six weeks, uh, quite a while. And then the following week, it was taken down again. So 75% of what they had eaten before, and then three more weeks of baseline not eating anything. So you, you ease them in and you yep. ease them out. Exactly. Very considerate. Yeah. Um, and how long did it take for you to get the samples? Were they sent? To you reasonably quickly, but did they freeze them and then send them? To yeah, you? they were frozen. Okay. Gosh, uh, I'm not sure when it ended and when I exactly started. So let's see. I I started in September 2019 was when I actually got in all the samples um, and aliquot them out and froze them for various testing. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure how long it took. Uh, for the for us to get it, but yeah, but presumably relatively quickly. Yeah, but they're they're presumably frozen at a temperature that mm-hmm. allows storage. It's not gonna yeah, you know, mess with. Also, you're looking at um, minerals, so it's not like they're gonna yeah, degrade yeah. or it's, anything. It, generally, yes. Yeah. So to the best of my knowledge, yeah, I I don't think uh, freezing or thawing is gonna be affecting the um, mineral concentrations. Now. Uh, actually doing taking the steps to actually analyze them experimentally like in the lab um yeah it might uh make it a little bit more difficult for you in order for like pipetting or something um if the milk samples are frozen thawed frozen thawed frozen thawed 
Um, but yeah, so it won't affect uh, any sort of mineral concentrations within the milk. Okay, so um, were there any findings that you got that you didn't expect? Uh, definitely iodine. Yeah. So we saw, I mean, uh, to be frank, a huge amounts of, of iodine within the milk in terms of micrograms per liter for the uh, high seaweed uh, group, definitely. And, th- and we're talking a very, uh, quite a small amount. I mean, it maxed out at 158 grams per cow per day, which isn't a lot. Um, so, not compared yeah, to the size of a cow. Yeah, absolutely not, right? Um, and 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 uh, yeah, and in terms of what they're eating, especially right, and then um, or how much they're eating, and then low seaweed, we did see elevated amounts as well. Um, so it was kind of nice. We saw uh, sort of a dose-dependent response, right? Yeah, you increase the amount that they eat. Following, we see an increase in uh, milk iodine. Which is particularly important because a lot of the population, or so, a, a lot of certain populations mm-hmm. uh, consume a lot uh, their needed iodine from dairy. I mean, in the UK, I mean, uh, um, you know, British people are especially dependent on dairy to uh, fulfill their iodine needs. So, is that? I wonder if that's partly because we don't have um, as much iodine salt here. Yep. So yeah, so uh, Britain doesn't have a, a iodine salt programs. Um, so basically, you uh, get all of your iodine from uh, you know seafood or dairy. Um, Not me personally. I buy, sure. I buy iodine salt. Sure, sure, sure. But uh, generally, it's hard to find though. Yeah, really hard to find. Absolutely, right? Yeah, and it's expensive. And, yep. If it's not regular salt, anyway. if it's not incorporated into diets, so, so I'm from the U.S., so you know it's in everything. Right. But. Uh, you know, if you're asking a population to go out and seek that. Um, yeah, not many will. Yeah, not many will. Especially when it's more expensive than salt. That Is you, it you really? really? It's I, not, I, it's I not really that. expensive, but it's it's more significantly more expensive than just regular table salt. Right. Um, I don't know why we don't have it. Like, why I, we don't have an iodine I mean, that's program. more legislation and yeah. politics. Um, I, yeah. I, um, I, I have never heard an explanation as to why I should uh, probably look into it yeah. this is interesting isn't I, it that... yeah I, I don't want to say I'm an expert on that no, I would no, say all, I would no. say that uh, yeah EU um, has uh, this doesn't apply to everything but they traditionally have a more strict take on food regulations compared to the US not all but generally yeah yeah so yeah. Uh, is it is it I don't know if it's an EU thing, is it? Or is it just a UK thing? I thought that there were. I, I don't know. Probably. Uh, so, the if we're talking about iodine salt programs, um, generally they're voluntary. I mean, even in the US, I believe it's voluntary. Um, but it's just uh, a thing that companies do is that they add it to the salt. Um, but in the UK, I, I just don't think it's uh, it's encouraged at all. So we are reliant on dairy products, absolutely, pretty much, wholeheartedly. Oh, oh, yeah. Um. And I mean, and this is you see this. I mean, I, I think it's like twenty percent of uh, British citizens, or maybe even more, are mildly deficient in iodine. Um, it can have some serious health effects. Mm. Um. So I wonder how many of those people are vegans. Oh, well, <laughs> must be most of them. There are a lot of papers looking at you know. Yeah, um, I bet. 
the availability of minerals with a vegan diet, um, which is fine if, if anybody chooses to be vegan, but um, they need to be aware of the, these problems yeah. right, and take supplements. That's the thing, you know, there, there's always a way around it, but it's being aware that it's going to be an issue in the first place. Right. You cut out milk, you don't realize you're cutting out iodine. Yeah. Most people wouldn't anyway. Yeah. And, and especially because, you know, deficiency, I mean, a lot of people walking around are, are mildly deficient. And I don't think that they would, you know, perceive that, right? So for something that is not as per, uh, perceptible, you know, of a deficiency, you don't, you know, you don't necessarily notice it. Um, so it can be a, a serious problem. But when you start to, you know, see the effects um, well, when researchers or public health officials start to see the effects, you know, they're compounding. Um, so, yeah, definitely applicable um, and definitely interesting. So Yeah. Is there any risk of iodine toxicity in your cows or in the people that might drink their milk if it were that yes. seaweed were introduced permanently? Uh, okay. So if we were to look at... Um, the and I kind of go through this in terms of the nutritional implications for this for this paper specifically, is that when we look at high seaweed milk, um, this is a lot of iodine within the milk, um, and therefore we say that it would uh, be entirely unsuitable. So you'll have your, I'm not sure if you guys have this here in the UK in terms of terminology, but. We usually use like RNI, so recommend nutritional intake, and then also we have like upper limits. So, um, yeah, when we look at high seaweed in the peak, um, around like weeks five and six or seven of the experiment, drinking that milk uh, would be even unsuitable for adults. Um, yeah, at, at like regular uh, consumption rates. But interestingly, we saw that, uh, well, as a baseline, we saw that when we look at the Icelandic consumption rates, if you were to drink the control milk, you would not be getting the um, recommended nutritional intake of iodine. Uh, you would not be fulfilled, even with high consumption rates that Iceland has. But when we supplement cows with seaweed at a low sea in the low seaweed experimental group we saw that it was able to fulfill the recommended nutritional intake for people but also not go over the upper limits very interesting um for the high seaweed group though um entirely unsuitable um yeah i would not drink that milk <laughs> it's too much <laughs> so there's there's a, a process of fine tuning that needs to go on Absolutely, before yeah. Before this was implemented. Yeah, oh, of course. If yeah. you're talking about implementation, I, mean, I think this is kind of, I don't want to say the first steps, right? But it is, it is steps. Uh, um, yeah, it, it would be uh, early steps in sort of um, informing farmers or companies, stakeholders, etc. You know, there's this option. Um you know, if we're to supplement cows with seaweed, um, there's this thing to consider. And then also, if you're looking to, as, as like a government or something like that, if you're looking to increase or decrease the amount of people that are deficient in a specific mineral, 
well, you can look at this and you can sort of modulate the amount that the cows are eating and then therefore end up with a more nutritious product. And I guess you just have to keep monitoring it, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Because as you said, it, these things can vary um, temporally. It might be that, you know, for whatever reason, there might be higher iodine in the silage at one point in the year mm-hmm. compared to a different point in the year. So it's more complicated than just being like, okay, well, this is a dose that works. Oh, totally. Absolutely. You have to consider everything. I mean, yeah, the season, uh, if you're looking at it in terms of implementation at a grand scale, I mean, you would have to do farm surveys of specific farms and understanding where they're coming from, taking soil samples, looking at that mineral amounts, um, finding out where the cows are getting their water, that sort of thing. Big surveys of, of, of farms. Huge surveys, yeah. yeah. That seems the way it's going to go, though. Just yeah. more data, more information, more localized. Just, I, I think... That's know, what I'd like to see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, me too. And I think in in a, a short period of time, farmers are going to know so much. I mean, they already know a huge amount about their farms, right. but they're just going to have access to so much more data. Right. And they're going to become sort of overseers of... of all these different collection points of data. Yeah. And it's it's going to be, they're going to become like scientists on their own farms. Yeah, like, absolutely. Okay, this stream has selenium in it, yep. or a high level of selenium in it. We're going to have to move the cows over here or maybe feed them slightly less of something that's got selenium in it. Yeah. It's absolutely fascinating how it's going to go. Yeah, it's important that we, as you know, agricultural scientists, are able to supply them with that information. Um and sort of show them, you know, if you implement this, this will happen. Um, yeah, and also uh, to sort of incentivize uh, local governments or, you know, people in charge of uh, divvying out food, etc., to make sure that um, not only are the farmers informed about what they're producing, but also how this is going to be affecting the population in a beneficial way hopefully so yeah well i think we've i think we've established that especially in populations that do rely on milk for their for example iodine Mm -hmm. that some kind of supplementation would be beneficial for those people so long as it's not toxic and so long as it meets their minimum requirements yeah do you think that adding seaweed to feed is also useful or beneficial for the animals involved and also for the farmers? Is it is it an economical addition? Oh, gosh, this is a huge question. Um, I, don't want, uh, I don't want to take up the whole time answering it. But um, yeah, it's something that I'm a huge advocate for. Um, a, a person could look at this paper and say, okay, you're feeding seaweed to cows at a small amount. Why are you going through the, the trouble of farming the seaweed, getting it to the farmer, having them feed it in a certain, in a measured amount, right? Um, when they could let the cow just uh, go about its business, um, uh, being grass fed or eating silage, whatever. Um, but we have to look at the sort of economic benefits that this has. So, you know, you could theoretically, I guess, deliver to the cow sort of like a mineral and vitamin supplement that has the iodine, which is able to boost the amount that's, in the milk. Uh, but what you're missing out on is you're you're missing out on the person that is farming that seaweed that is being paid to farm that seaweed 
and then deliver it to that farmer, you know, what about their livelihood? What about their ability to feed their kids, etc.? So it all combines into a collaborative effort. We're able to, hopefully with this paper and more to come, we're able to encourage uh, sort of the market um, and have a larger amount of people farming seaweed, uh, which is able to make them money, and then hand this off to the farmers who are able to, you know, produce more um, minerally rich or nutritionally rich uh, dairy products. And maybe they're incentivized by their uh, processors or, or governments to do this, uh, to implement this within their farming practice. And so they're able to benefit from it. They're able to get more money for their product. Um, so hopefully this can all combine into something that's uh, just entirely beneficial for the, the, the seaweed farmer, the, the dairyman, the um, consumer, and then the economy as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the, the supplementation issue or the argument that you could just give them a pill or something yeah. is, is a symptom of our modern sort of reductionist attitude towards nutrition in sure. general, sure. which is a, a, a much broader topic than what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but it's, it's interesting to think that that would be a criticism that we'll just give them a pill mm-hmm. because that's all, sort of how we treat ourselves now, I think. Yeah, People sure. People forget yeah. that food is a... a complicated matrix yeah it's, it's a as social aspects as cultural aspects it has um yeah a lot of uh things that aren't considered by people that say you know well you know i would choose to take a pill rather than eat a meal or something like that so um and then in terms of the animal health um we didn't see uh uh bad uh, adverse effects uh for the cows um, but this was a small amount, um, I'm sure. With and then, of course, this was only two species of seaweed. There are thousands, probably more than thousands. So, um, and this doesn't, this isn't applicable to each and every single seaweed. So, if we're thinking of supplementing with another type of seaweed, I I would hope that this paper would serve as sort of a guide as to what you need to do in order to look at mineral concentrations within that. Great. Um, this is something that I always struggle with after yeah. I've, uh, I've finished any experiment. Um, I wonder, is there anything you would have done differently? I mean, obviously a lot of the data collection was out of your control. Mm. Um, but is there anything that you did that you thought you could have done differently, better, more efficiently? Yeah. Um. I think one of the main points is when we track the mineral concentrations in the milk week to week, we see, and this isn't something they could have seen, you know, in real time because it's not being analyzed that day, um, is we see fluctuations of iodine within the milk when the cows are being fed the same amount of seaweed per their experimental group, right? So a high seaweed group could be being fed 1.5% concentrate dry matter per cow per day. Um, But even then, their iodine amounts are fluctuating within um, when when they're being fed the same amount. So what we saw for iodine especially is that 
we see it rise, it peaks, and then it drops off. I would have liked to have the experiment go on for for longer because we don't know if we would have continued to feed the cows 1.5% that if it would drop, if it would rise again, um, because this is particularly important, right, to the farmer. So I can tell you what's going to happen within, generally, within six weeks of, of feeding cow seaweed, but I don't know what's going to happen if it's going to maintain that amount or if it's going to drop off um, within eight weeks or ten weeks. I, I, I just have no, no clue. Um, and then also I probably would have extended the uh, basal diet period. So after we've uh, taken the cows off of seaweed, I still would have liked to carry on um, analysis for another few weeks just to make sure that um, you know no changes were uh, taking place, that there was no like long-term effect of supplementing the cows in terms of milk mineral concentration. Yeah. Very, very caring, very considerate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to look after the subjects. Do you think overall, and this is maybe slightly an existential question, that the, the study was successful? Do you think you addressed your aims? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with it. I think that we were able to show, yeah, we were able to uh, take something that was honestly previously unanswered. Um, there's only a few papers that even go into mineral concentrations as a result of seaweed supplementation. This is a kind of a, a rapidly developing field. And uh, I think we had a good explanation for why things happen the way that they did. And then also, I really like that we took a, uh, uh, another step uh, coming from my global health background is looking at, you know, the implications for the for the population. So what I really wanted to do was have a experiment or a paper that was really applicable. I don't want this to be, I mean, I'd like it to be in a biology textbook, but what I want to do is say like, okay, if we're really planning on doing this, we, we can talk about how beneficial seaweed is for cows. Great. But if we're really talking about you know, applying this, what happens when we actually do it? Uh, and, and what are the implications for the population that's going to be consuming this dairy? Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to um, to think about things in practical terms. Right. Not everyone does that. That I I believe that that's what agricultural science is all about. I mean, it's applicability. It, it, whatever happens in the lab is happening on the farm um, and happening on the store shelves and happening to the population that is consuming that food. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really interesting field and something that, yeah, I I take great pleasure in, in actually doing uh, really applicable science. Not to say other science is not entirely no, uh, unapplicable, but... Yeah. <laughs> Very well put. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I don't always see the value in, in doing experiments that aren't going to lead to actionable outcomes. <laughs> I Although I'm sure so that too. work is important. I, it's very important and it's very interesting. Um, but I, I I, guess I can just say that I'm more of like an application person. Yeah. So throughout my work, even dealing with microbiology, it's more, okay, we're seeing this in theory, right? This leads to this. Okay, what happens when we put this into practice? How does this actually affect the people that are consuming this product? Absolutely. So I was going to ask you yeah. um, what you were going to do next, but I guess seeing as you are nearly done, relatively speaking, yeah, um, I, I should ask you uh, 
what you did afterwards at least hopefully yeah um <laughs> uh definitely looking for postdocs that sort of mm-hmm. thing um i'd like to get maybe a year or two of, of postdoc experience under my belt um definitely looking for uh ngo work um uh yeah you but not post other things you don't want to try and persuade governments to feed cow seaweed <laughs> i i mean if it's part of the job of the ngo sure um but uh yeah, definitely interested in uh, sort of dairy-based nutrition, mm-hmm. uh, dairy-based agriculture, that sort of thing. Do you have um, any ideas about where in the world you'd like to do that? Anywhere. Anywhere. So uh, I've applied everywhere, from Norway to Thailand to the U.S. Um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. Well, good luck. Yeah. I hope, I hope you get get a decent job out of it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you will. This work seems very important, um, especially considering that, that we do have a population of people that are deficient um, in, in iodine and, and other minerals. And I'm sure there's scope to maybe bring in other species of seaweeds that might have different concentrations of different things for different places. As you've said, these things vary so much. Absolutely. There's, yeah. there's plenty more work to be done. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about today that I haven't, I haven't asked you about, haven't covered? Is there anything we've missed? I can't think. I can't think of any. No, great, good stuff. Is there uh, is there anyone you'd like to mention to thank? Oh gosh, um, uh, every single one of my co-authors. Um, <laughs> there's a few uh, of them. Yeah, yeah. There was there's quite a few. Um, definitely helped with uh, looking over the paper, advising me, etc. Um, my supervisor, Socrates Sturgiatis, Doctor Socrates Sturgiatis, and uh, of course, uh, among other people, Asta. Um, she was at, at Mattis. But yeah, everybody at University of Reading. Uh, definitely has been quite an experience and uh you know everybody's been really really helpful yeah i think an experience is the best way to describe a phd yeah it will be an experience yeah yeah if you're listening um, to this thinking of doing one yeah that I, is the only way you can sum it up i think you should uh yeah if, if anybody's listening to this and uh, is considering doing one yeah absolutely it's very rewarding yeah yeah i i've really i've really liked my uh my experience here Great. I'm, I'm glad. I have to. It's a, it's a good university as well. I've been to a few now. And, yeah. uh, this this yeah. one's up there. Yeah. So uh, once again, um, I've been speaking to Eric Newton about his paper, Effects of Dietary Seaweed Supplementation in Cows on Milk Macro Minerals, Trace Elements and Heavy Metal Concentrations, published in the journal Foods. Thank you very much, Eric. Thank you. That was fascinating. Hopefully right. you enjoyed it as well. Um, and to everyone listening... Thank you very much for listening and we will see you or I will see you in the next episode. Peace.